You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. It's me again, Marcus, and I'm back to take your questions and to give you the best advice I possibly can for those musicians out there at grassroots level. The kind of guys who used to squeeze into the back of a Fiat Uno with all your gear on your laps and go off to play the King's Head for the night to a load of beer-swilling public bar types. Um, We're going to get straight on with it, as always. I've had a few questions this week. It is the 29th of January. For those of you who haven't heard the podcast before, where have you been? Have a look back, have a listen back. There are some interviews on there with various people as well. And there are a few interviews coming up as well that I'm trying to arrange um, in the near future. So we'll come to that later on, I'm sure. But for now, straight on with it. We're going to start with a question from Eddie in Corringham. Eddie says, Hi Marcus, greatest guitarist ever, question mark, discuss. <laughs> um, first of all, Eddie, why does my opinion matter with something like that? Why does, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I think the, the, the quick answer is the greatest guitarist is anybody who influences you. So um, you can't really categorise who's the greatest. You can't really categorise who um, has has the greatest techniques or who has, um, you know, who. I don't think it's 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 a bit like who was the greatest boxer ever because they all had so many different skills and what Muhammad Ali had, Evander Holyfield didn't have, and so guitar players because there are so many different styles because there are so many different uh, genres. I think the quick answer, Eddie, is any guitarist that influences you. In my case, it was uh, Hank Marvin. And I think a lot of people's case, Hank Marvin was a very influential guitar player. When you read, you know, uh, I think he influenced people like Clapton and uh, people like uh, Mark Knopfler and stuff like that. So obviously a big, big influence um, in in music in general. Um, My personal favourite, in terms of guitar player is I think Brian May is the ultimate guitar machine that there's ever been. I think he's just able to do it all with the hands, all in the fingers. It's just all about the touch, you know, three Vox amplifiers and, you know, just all driven, overdriven and a treble booster. I think that's it. You know, the rest of it is him and the volume controls and stuff like that. So for me, the reason I put him up there is because he's then able to play something as intricate, intricate as uh, as "Love of My Life" on the twelve-string and acoustic, and just it's just a machine. Brian May is the ultimate guitar machine for me. I don't play like Brian May. I don't use him as a an influence in in the way that I play, because my style as it was really rock and roll, Chuck Berry, um, Eric Clapton, Gary Moore, Mark Knopfler, stuff like that. But um, the most influential guitar player for me, I suppose, was probably Hank Marvin again, because he was the first reason that I learned any lead guitar at all. So um, in terms of the the person who had the most influence on me and, I, and the person that, that I wanted to sound like the most um, when I was growing up in the very, very, very early stages of learning guitar was Hank Marvin, because nobody else really made the guitar sound like that and I'm I'm this kid listening to something thinking wow I I, I want to sound like that and I, I never did but um I I worked hard and um I still enjoy even now is to put the shadows album on and play along with it so 
the, the main reason I wanted to play guitar to start with was Hank Marvin. But my biggest uh, my biggest influence was probably uh, Clapton, Knopfler and uh, Gary Moore. But the greatest guitar machine, in my opinion, um, is Brian May. Just, you know, just because he's uh, just a complete all-rounder, can do anything. So thanks for your question, Eddie. I hope, I don't know whether I've answered it or not, as it was supposed to be a discussion. But you can send me an email, let me know who your favourite uh, guitar player is. But really the one who has the most influence on you. And makes you want to play. Janice from Greys. Hi Marcus, I'll be watching your 10 minute tutorials on YouTube. And I'm only I'm up to part 6 and I can't find part 7. Is there a part 7 on the way? Um, yeah, I, I will get round to that Janice. Um, to be absolutely honest, I recorded those a couple of years ago. And uh, at that time I had a, a lot of things going on. I thought, well I'll put the first 6 up there. And if they get as far as 6, then they'll message me and want to do something else. But... Um, I probably will be repackaging them and uh, if I don't re-record them then I'll try and tidy them up in terms of them being a, a guitar course. They were a, a good introduction to guitar I, I felt and they kept things nice and simple um, and I'm glad that you're up to lesson six um, and I'm sorry that there isn't a lesson seven but you can always you know book some private lessons with me but no I will be putting some um, more up there. It's just um, I can't really say it's finding the time at the moment because everybody's locked down. Um, but it's just remembering where I got to and I have to do a bit of research and just double check that I'm, that I'm not covering myself again and making sure that everything is in the right place. And, uh, you know, but yes, there will be a, a, a lesson seven and I will get round to tidying it up. I think I have a, a, a huge list of things that I want to get done um, on the Grassroots YouTube channel. And I haven't got close to any of them yet. Um, too many, um, too many promises. I think, and not, and not enough. Uh, not not following them up enough. I'm, I'm. I must do this. I must do that. And I have these ideas. And uh, there's a few things in the pipeline, but it's um, also a couple of them involve other people, and it's being able to get together with them. I don't really want to do it, you know, over, over the phone or anything like that. So it will happen, uh, Janice. There will be a part seven on the way. And I'm sorry that it's kind of stopped you in your tracks a bit. But um, by way of a compensation thing, if you want to email me uh, and set up um, a Skype lesson with me, I, I won't charge you. Just just show me what you can do and I'll give you a private lesson seven. If it's a time when I'm, I'm around, then I'll take you through just 10 minutes just to give you something to work on, just to take you to the next level. So you can do that. And anybody else who's up to lev level six, um, there might be somebody else, I'm sure. <laughs> um, just, uh, yeah, we'll set up a Skype thing or a Zoom thing and we'll do 10 minutes um, in person and I'll just move you on a little bit and I won't charge you for that. And then in that that will get me off my backside and get them recorded because then I'll be, um, people will be able to, to move on. So, yes, there will be one soon. Uh, Jazza from South Woodham. How does a capo work? Hi, Jazza. Um a capo works by tightening the strings on your guitar, basically. Um, it's a bit like a bar chord, like with your first finger. It just tightens the strings on your guitar. So if you put, if you're playing an A string and then you put the capo on two, the note that you'll be playing will be um, a B. So a capo works in as much as it tightens the strings on your guitar. So if you play a G and then put the capo on the fifth fret, 
count five up from a G and you'll be you'll actually be playing a C, but you can still play the G chords and the and things like that. So capos also in terms of transposing a song. Um, if you're playing a song, let's say in G with the capo on the second fret, um, you can take the capo off there by moving the capo or moving the music key down to but then you have to go up to with the chord that you're playing in order to play the same chord. So if you're playing a G with a capo on the second, then you take it off. You've got minus two with a capo. So you then have to go plus two with the chord. So you have to go from G to A and the capo from two to open for it to be the same note. If you listen to the intro of Hotel California by the Eagles, capo two is played on an A minor on capo two, but there's an E minor on capo seven that plays a different chord structure. But that's what a capo does. It tightens the strings on your guitar. So if you listen to, um, if you play a song in G, but you want to play it in C, or you want to play it, let's say you want to play it in A, rather than relearning it in A, you can move the capo, play it with a capo on the second fret, and it will tighten it up. And if you think of your um of the notes of the scale being like a clock and if you draw a clock in front of you and you can you know maybe maybe at 12 o'clock and uh, put one uh, one so so zero at 12 o'clock uh one would be f um two would be f sharp three would be g four would be g sharp five is a six would be a sharp stroke b flat um seven would be b eight would be c 9 is C-sharp, 10 is D, 11 is D-sharp, and 12 and O is E. And then what happens with a capo, if you put, if you play a G, and then you put the capo on 3, on your clock, find the G and count up 3, and that's the chord that you're playing, which you'll find is an A-sharp or a B-flat. So if you're learning something in a certain key and somebody asks you what key it's in, rather than saying... Um, Oh, I'll play it with a capo on the second and it's in G. You could say, oh, it's in A. I'm playing G with, you know. So it's that. It's just using um, what they call a transposition clock. Or I, I, I wouldn't say I invented it because there's, it, there's a thing on there called a circle of fifths and various different things. But um, a capo works by tightening the tuning, the strings on your guitar to, to make a G chord sound like an A or a B or a C, depending on where you put it on the neck. So I hope that helps, uh, Jazza. Innovation Studios has all the tools you would need to bring your music to life. Get in touch to book a free consultation. This is our opportunity to chat about your music, listen to demos, and if you're unsure, find which pricing would fit you best. There are no hidden costs. Once a booking is made and price agreed, there are no further hidden charges. Our team at Innovation Studios are professional musicians. We know that sometimes a recording may run into an extra hour or an extra day. Your original price will stand. Guidance that will help you make a great sounding album at an affordable price. www.innovationstudios.com Libby. Hi Marcus, I heard the other week you say you've never cancelled a show in 30 years. In that case, you must have played some really tough ones. What's the hardest show you've ever played? Um, to, there, there are two answers to that. The hardest show that I've ever played in terms of health was um, 
two shows with glandular fever. Um, one on a Friday night, one on a Saturday night. Um, the Friday night, I think, um, was in Tilbury, and the Saturday night was at a place called The Vine in uh, Waltham Cross. It's on the, on the corner there on the roundabout, and I'd been diagnosed with glandular fever um, the Thursday before, and I had that weekend off. I didn't have any shows that weekend as it happened. And um, I've been signed off. I was working then. I've been signed off work for eight weeks. And I glandular fever, I have never felt so exhausted in my life. And uh, didn't think you know, I'd stand up and I'd have to lay back down again. I was exhausted. For anybody that's ever had it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It is absolutely exhausting. You can't stand. You can't think. You, I slept for three whole days when, when I was first diagnosed. I mean, I was I was exhausted. And there were these two shows looming on the horizon for the following Friday, Saturday. And we talked about cancelling them. And I said, no, even if I've got to sit on a chair, you know, I'll, I'll go and do what I do. I don't want to let anybody down. I want to earn my money. And, you know, as I've said before, as I probably said the other week, um, Libby, when I, when I said about um, the show always goes on. At this level, I always believe that the show should go on. I, I always just perform no matter what happens and uh you know if there is a way out i would i would have taken it but i i don't cancel shows i just don't don't believe in it myself and and also um you know we we had a good following at that time around chesant and Wolven cross and uh, cross harlow and people were, were were enjoying our show we were really building up uh, momentum and I think we would have lost a lot of the momentum if we'd have cancelled a couple of shows and I thought no you know just just see how we go um even if we go and and halfway through we have to quit and they can't pay us but I, there's no way I'm not going to do it so I was pretty much carried from the van to the to the stage and then um the only thing I can tell you is adrenaline is a wonderful thing um adrenaline kicked in and the show was there and I sang I think I sang pretty well I think I played pretty well and everything was still there but at the end of the show I was exhausted and and uh was pretty much carried to the van um and uh and the next night the same carried carried to the stage or to the edge of the stage and then carried from the stage back to the van afterwards uh when I say carried it was just really kind of you know, like that way they, the, the way that they help a footballer off a football pitch and they twisted an ankle, you know, the arms, arms all around each other and, and getting me out of there. But yeah, it was physically the hardest two shows I've ever played in my life. And I've played shows sitting on chairs because I've had a foot operation. I've played shows nine days after a sinus operation when I was told I couldn't, I shouldn't sing for six weeks. And, uh, stubborn, I suppose, or stupid. I think probably with hindsight, stupid but at the time uh i thought i was stubborn so there we go emotionally the hardest show i've ever played was to play a show um two nights after i lost my dad and that's that's a hard gig to play because you know you you uh dad was at all of my shows came came to all of our shows and, and made as many gigs as he could and and um to look out I mean, we'd looked out for a while. We hadn't been well for a while and we'd look out and he wasn't in the audience anyway. But um, yeah, to to kind of have all of that going on at home 
um, and all of that stuff inside you. And anybody that that's ever lost anybody will know it's a, it's it's an awful feeling. And then on top of that, to have to become this character that goes to work and entertains a room full of people um, and make sure everyone goes home happy. It was a hard show. The, the, what got me through was I was with my brother. We were playing a Liam and Noel show um, and that made it easier because we were both feeling the same and we were both able to pick each other up and, and do the job. So that was a hard show emotionally and physically the two that I played with Glandular Fever. That's... Um, that's a really, really good question, Libby, and I, and I, I was happy to answer it. It's, uh, you know, our job, but we, we just have to carry on. We just have to do what we do. Glenn says, Glenn is from Harlow. Our front man is a great front man, a great singer, great showman, but he's absolutely useless between songs. He doesn't know what to say. Do you have any advice? Yeah, the thing, Glenn, with... with being a front man is when you're singing, um, you can do all of these things and, uh, you know, and, and be a great front man and sing and stand a certain way and things like that. But yeah, sometimes um, talking in between songs is not as easy as you would think. Um, you have to think on your feet. You have to kind of be in the moment. Um, the other thing as well, um, Glenn, that's worth thinking about is... Do you take too much time between songs? Is there too much time for him to, to need to speak? Could you maybe look at your set and say, um, do we finish a song and then mess around in between, you know, getting a sip of drink, retuning everything? Because that obviously he's the one who's responsible for then um, kind of continuing to sell the show. And without wishing to to point the finger at blame of anybody at all, he doesn't have anything to do while you're tuning your guitars and sipping your drinks and changing guitars and things like that. So he has to kind of fill in. But maybe if he didn't have to fill in as much, sometimes you have to look at the set list and you have to say, well, look, you, you, why are we playing these three songs together when you use that guitar, then you swap to acoustic, then you switch to this? Why don't we do the two electric ones together? And not only that, but when we finish one, straight into the next one, because then your front man only has to talk over the intros and the outros, or when it kicks in, all he's got to say is, does anyone remember this? And you kick into something like Summer of 69 or whatever, you know, the old cheese that people have played for years. Um, but that's the thing. It's sometimes a front man, it's the loneliest place on earth when the band around you suddenly stop and it goes quiet and you're standing there. And um, there are people out there who just sort of go, oh, have a look on our, you know, it used to be MySpace years ago. Have a look on our MySpace. And don't forget you can find us on social media. And people, you know, he's he wants to be a front man, so he's got to carry on being a front man. He's got to keep the energy up. But if around him everyone is messing about tuning and stuff like that. And I'm not saying you are, Glenn. I'm just saying this is my my take on it when I've been in that situation. I often would, would look at it and say, everybody's got to work together with this. If he's useless between songs, is it because he's being given maybe a minute every single time, standing there like a lemon and has to flannel or make something up? I think it's important that you you pretty much go song, 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 song. Only really stop if you need to tune. Only really stop if you need to have a sip of water. But there, there are a lot of bands out there, and they all know who they are. 
that play a song and then stand there for a minute and have a bit of a conversation and then play another one. And then they wonder why they don't have any momentum. And I think that if you, you're able to kick in and kick in and, and all you got to do, I mean, we, when we go out as Oasis, we come out usually with something like Columbia. When Columbia finishes, all we'll, all we'll do is walk to the front of the stage. You go, no messing about tonight, some might say. Or something like that. No messing about tonight, some might say. Or no messing about, greatest hits. That's it, you're in. And you don't have to say too much between songs. When it gets awkward is when all of a sudden um, the drummer might say to me, oh, I just need to change my snare. And then I've got to talk and make a conver- make conversation. But there are a lot of bands out there, Glenn, and I'm not saying that you're one of them. I'm just saying there are a lot of bands out there that before they worry about whether the front man is filling in the gap, they need to look at themselves and think, are we giving him too much time to fill? Could we maybe join a couple of songs together? Could we maybe get on a roll and, and think about your set list as being four quick songs and then a tuning break? If you can. I mean, if you've got a tune, you've got a tune, mate. All right? I mean, that that's it. Because you don't don't play your guitar out of tune because your front man doesn't know what to say. Let him find something to say. But if it's just a case of you finish the song and then everybody regroups and sort of looks at each other or, you know, then then that's that doesn't work like that. You've got to keep it moving. Give people a little bit more as well. Give your audience a little bit more because they're getting maybe 16 songs in the first set instead of 15 because you're just rolling out a couple of songs. And if people are up for it and dancing and having fun, he's a great front man. You said that. He's a better front man for not having to stand like a lemon for a minute in between songs because you're, you're sipping a bit of water or because you're talking to each other or making a joke between you behind him. So I'm not saying that's the case, but if it is the case, take a look at yourselves as well and take a look at it as, as working as a team. You're not two separate entities, but in a funny way you are. The front man is trying to sell what you're all doing and he's trying to make paint the picture and everything during the songs. So maybe during the breaks, make the breaks shorter, maybe after the songs, before the next one, try and work your set out so you're not giving him any real reason to stand there like a lemon and have to make conversation because I've been there and I've done it and I can tell you it doesn't matter how experienced you are sometimes you flannel you just you know uh, uh, yeah I mean it's uh, nice to be here um, and you just sound like a lemon so if he's going to be a great front man let him be a great front man by literally saying the titles of the songs you know as, as one song finishes you know you're all hanging guitars and your, your, your drummer hits a cymbal, and all, you, all your front man's got to go is sex on fire, and the place is going to go erupt. So it's that kind of thing. You don't want to finish a song, and then you've got a real killer like, uh, you know, like uh, Sweet Child of Mine or something waiting, and he walks to the front and goes, um, this one's called Sweet Child of Mine. You want to finish the song, and then the, the drummer, you know, bang, 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 start the solo, and then your front man goes, Sweet Child of Mine, and the place explodes. He hasn't, he hasn't had to do anything because he's constantly moving. So don't stand around like lemons between songs if you are doing that. And uh, if you're not doing that, then less is more. Or just get him to have a prop, something like uh, a stool with um, with uh, maybe, maybe a, a, a cup, not a cup, maybe a glass and a bottle of water on it. He just pours and then just sort of chats to the audience. But... Um, if not, then just think about what he says. It doesn't matter if he says the same thing all the time. You know, there are plenty of famous people who always say the same thing every time, night after night. 
you know, and, and I, but, but at grassroots level, it tends to be a bit more about being in the moment. There are the obvious things that you say. If you're playing a grassroots place, nice to be back at the King's Head or nice to be here for the first time or thanks for coming. Um, you know, want to thank everybody for, you know, whatever. Th- thanks to our, our road crew. Thanks to our sound guy. There, there are lots of things you can say. You, there, you can pick somebody out. The audience, this one's for Dave. Um, or whatever. Introduce the band just just very quickly, just uh, on the left ear. Or, or don't introduce the band as one long thing where everyone gets a little go. Do it by sort of saying, "Right, this is Chris on guitar. He's gonna, you know." Um, and then the three songs later, okay, this is Dave on bass. He's gonna bring us in for this one. Another one bites of dust or whatever. So you've got a plan. But um, if you're leaving him standing there like a lemon, he's gonna sound like one. <laughs> Jeff in South End said, Hi, Marcus, I've seen you many times at the Ambleside and I wondered how your tracks are created as they seem consistent in levels and you don't have a sound man and you don't seem to be twiddling much during the show. I think what Jeff means by twiddling is uh, fiddling about with the levels. Um, so we're not singing and keep walking back to the desk and turning ourselves up and turning ourselves down. Um, so if he's seen us at the Ambleside, he would have seen Face the Music, which is the trio. Um our backing tracks, uh, most of our backing tracks, and they do go back a few years, are midis. And uh, the midi backing tracks are, are, are pretty good. Ken, who, who Ken Golding, who I work with, is a, is, I think he's a genius. He's able to find some really, really great sounds from the from the old midis, or he was. Things have moved on a little bit now. We're using we're using a new one, which I'll come to in a minute. Um. But um, the levels, what 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 Ken did did was he he he'd mix the track. Obviously, he would take his guitar or or electric guitar off. He would take acoustic guitar off, and he would take piano off. So all you've really got on our tracks is um, a little is drums, um, and sometimes just a little bit of strings or something that just bubbles away in the background. So there's not an awful lot on our on our tracks that we use because Ken's guitar and vocal is live. My my guitar and vocal is live and Lorraine's keyboard and vocals are live at the back. So everybody is doing something. It's just that we'd rather than use a drummer, we wanted to do that. So um, that's that's all, all that's really on there. Um, but there are some nice sounds, uh, some really, really nice sounds um, that he was able to get and he'd mix them. And, and then from the mix, he would then convert them to mini disc. And when you convert them to mini disc, you're able to tweak the levels to keep the levels the same. You can see the level as you're recording it. So you can keep the levels the same. And most of our tracks are. There's only two that I can think of where I suddenly remember that I have to turn it down for this one because it's a slightly louder track. But um, most of the time, um, they're pretty much consistent. And and this was the thing that, that we always tried to do when we first started working together was, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again, even though there's no drummer, you still want to suggest that it's live. You still want to have proper endings, proper starts for the songs, proper countings, either maybe a two, a one, two that brings you in or something, so that um, people in the end they just enjoy the show, and it becomes like a real gig. I think if someone's standing there singing and then the song fades out, it just looks naff. And I always think that you should be protective of this business. 
if you're going to step out on stage on a Saturday night as a trio, then you need to think like a full band. And if you've got songs that fade in or fade out, you know, the other good thing about midis as well is, is that you're able to change the key to suit yourself to get the best out of your own vocal performance. Um, so many people just download a song in the original key and then struggle through it. Well, why would you want to do that when you're able to change the key to it to suit your voice and to get the best out of it? You know, so some some people would play Wonderwall um, in the proper key, but some people might go Capo 1 and sound exactly how they want to sound. Some people might go Capo 3 and sound exactly how they want to sound. Why would you just want to pick it up and play along with it? Um so the MIDI's enabled us or enabled Ken to change the key of the song to change the sounds of it as well. So it's consistent. So we've pretty much, our drums are always consistent. They're always the same kit. And um, the keyboard sounds that uh, Lorraine uses, um, uh, uh, she knows exactly what she's doing. They're, they're just there. They're always a nice similar level they're weaved into the mix we know our levels we've we've played the game for a while um and all we've really got on the tracks are drums and a little bit of strings everything else is live so um you know it's once 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 your drums are are um there and your levels for your drums are fine and your stage levels are fine we don't tweak that much my acoustic doesn't need to be tweaked it's it's set set the level and go to work we know how to use the microphones. If if the microphone is booming a bit, then we just we'll just step back a bit. Um, it it comes with experience, Jeff. It's we don't have to have somebody twiddling around. Ken knows his equipment, knows how to when he goes into a solo, he knows what level to have it on. Um, it comes with experience, um, and that's one of the reasons why we don't twiddle when we're on stage. Is one of the reasons is because we don't need to. We know that the tracks are going to be consistent. And if a track isn't consistent or jumps out or leaps out, then the following week it's re-recorded onto the mini disc at the right level so that we don't have to mess about again. We don't want to have to worry about anything when we're up there. We just want to have to worry about playing the show. And uh, because we don't have a sound crew, we have to we have to provide our own sound. Um, there's nothing worse. And there's nothing worse than watching someone sing and every 10 seconds they're walking over to the mixer and turning the vocal up or turning the track down you know these sort of things should be sorted in rehearsal it's a thing in rehearsal that if if you're rec if you're rehearsing rehearse your set run your set but make a note of the tracks that you need to tweak up or down and then when you go to perform you know how to do it you, you just before the song you're turning it up you're not suddenly leaping over and turning it down or turning it up just before the song or you know what's coming next or you know what song's going to... And I know that when we do... I think it's Amarillo and it's Teenager in Love and I know that when we do those they're a little bit louder than the other tracks. But they never play and then we leap over there and quickly turn them down. We make that adjustment before the song starts because we know our levels. And rehearsals are about knowing your levels. And if you're playing in a band or a duo or whatever, if you have a rehearsal where you look at each other and go, sounds great tonight, make a note of what your levels were on. Um, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. Have a look down. What my, oh, your amp sounds good tonight. Yeah, it does. Get a picture of it. You know, what have you got it set up? How have you got it set up? Maybe you've got it on a chair and you don't normally. Maybe you've put it on the floor and it's got more bottom end. But have a look at, at the setup you've got. And if you're rehearsing, 
It's not enough to just run the songs. Run them, but anything that, that you need to tweak, we say, oh, I'd like to turn that one down, I'd like to turn that one up, make a note of it. Because a pen and paper, even if you have your notes on the stage with you, you know, and, and you write your set out, you know, turn turn this, you know, bass goes down a bit for this one, or whatever, then you, your show is consistent. And any tweaks that you make in the break between songs are not as obvious as singing and looking at your levels while you're doing it. So stay protective of the business, and um, you can do your own sound and play. People have done it for years. But um, there we are. Grassroots Music UK, in association with Innovation Studios, presents the ultimate one-day workshop for songwriters. Advice and analysis on songwriting techniques and methods, how songs are created, structured, recorded and produced. Tuition, analysis and guidance on how to make a great-sounding album on a bedroom budget, using recording software and digital audio workstation. Learn how effects and plugins work and the most effective way to use them. Mixing and mastering to CD, WAV and MP3. Adding album artwork, tags and songwriter info. Where to have your mastered CD copied in bulk for selling at your shows. How to upload your music to iTunes and digital media. Online radio stations and how to submit your music for airplay. Advice on venues, promotions, showcases and open mic nights in the area. To book a place and be added to the waiting list, please call 01702 836 or email innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com Next question comes from Ben in Epping. Hiya Ben in Epping, how are you mate? Ben in Epping says, Marcus, how are you? Do you have any advice on mic stands being knocked during the show because people are in your face more these days when there isn't a stage? Oh, Ben, have I got advice for you? I've had three times I've been to the dentist because uh, my teeth, one of my teeth has been smashed in or 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 um, damaged by a microphone in the face where somebody's been having fun and has danced and has caught the microphone and it's hit me in the face or in the mouth. I've, I've had a uh, split lip. I've never had a broken nose and I hope I never will. But yeah, I've had a bit of dental work done a couple of times and I've had, um, yeah, split lip more than once because people get get carried away and bump into your mic stand. And um, <clears throat> these days, people, very rarely any security, you know, so to keep people back off the stage. And, and I don't want to go down a road of, of walking in and unloading a couple of barriers from the van to keep people back. So I think it's... Um, in recent times when it's got really bad, I, I've had two options. Um, one of the options is I bought myself a head mic, uh, a sure head mic, because then there's no mic stand. There's nothing for anybody to bump into. Um, but what I found was that was worse because it, it meant people could get even closer to the stage because there wasn't a mic stand in the way. Um, but I've, I've used that. But but the quick answer is, is, is it... I think if you've got a front man who is a front man and isn't doesn't play an instrument. I don't think that's as bad because they're able to uh, move their hands or uh, grab the microphone or whatever. Um, the difficult thing is for a guitarist to have a microphone in front of them. What I've found is you can set your microphone up to the side of you 
and then you're able to have it almost kind of, if you think of your microphone stand, if it's a boom stand, think of it like a crane. And you've got the long, the long stand and then you have like a, a nice horizontal bit that comes across. And if you put that so it kind of comes over your shoulder and then you turn the microphone over, then you can stand under the mic stand. Um, because if you put it in front of you while you're playing guitar, and in my brother's case, because he's playing Liam, he's got his hands behind his back. There's no protection at all against somebody smacking into your microphone. So if you are kind of, you've got your microphone to the side, in order to bump into your microphone, they've got to pretty much bump into you first or be at the same level as you. And you can just step forward an inch or so, and a couple of inches and play, and that will in turn will move them back. You don't want to go, go down a road of, of shoving people out the way or hitting people with your guitar because you won't make it out of there alive. But... Um, you can, if you if you set your microphone up to the side and have it almost coming over your shoulder, it, it restricts your movements a little bit as a guitar player, but it's a little bit safer because there's nothing below, let's say, shoulder level that they can then bump into, which is then going to smack the top of the microphone stand into your face. So if you set it up um, like a crane, nice long bit and a nice sort of, uh, and then the boom bit coming in from the right or coming in from the left um and it's it's almost parallel to the front of the stage the other thing as well is um sometimes a monitor but people can fall over monitors there's no right or wrong answer i mean i you know if if, if you're a guitar player to the side um in the liam and noel experience i've found that i i am able to set up my microphone underneath or the base of my microphone underneath the speaker stand on that side and then just bring the boom out enough to sing into it. So the only thing people can bump into, if, if they're going to bump into my mic stand, they've got to bump into the speaker first, they've got to bump into the speaker stand first because the base of it is down. The worst thing is when you have a mic stand in front of you and people are dancing and people are bump into it and it will smack you in the face. So set it up to the side or set it up, if you, if you stand to one side, set up the base of it and set up your mic stand behind the speaker so you're protected a little bit. But most of all, be careful, mate. Um, you know, it, I, I, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world if, if somebody's getting absolutely silly. Um, if you have to just stop playing for a second and just move your mic stand back. Um, if anyone's got any advice on that as well, just let me know because there, there may be other ways. But I've found just changing the position of my microphone would help with that. And it is an unfortunate thing, but it's also a fortunate thing. You know, that, that enough people are having that, that good a time that you're in that danger. But, um, you know, this, the bad thing is that anybody that bumps into your microphone and knocks your tooth out doesn't have to pay your dental bill. You do. So, um, you know... Set it up to the side or set up the base of it under the speaker and, and use the boom of it um, to kind of come across um, straighter, if that makes sense. So if, if you're not sure, then I'll, I can stick a diagram up um, or I can just, I've got your email and I can send you a diagram. So I'll probably I'll probably do that, Ben. OK, Daryl in Rye. Daryl in Rye said, you said last week you've used your phone for backing tracks. Has anyone ever phoned you during the show? Because you forgot to put it on airplane mode. <laughs> um, no, no, but um, I did have it once where my son had been playing with my phone 
in the afternoon. And then I went off to play a care home show. Um, and I didn't put it on airplane mode and I didn't get any phone calls. But during one of the songs that I was playing in the interval, this big American voice said, pick your team now. And it was from an app that uh, <laughs> that uh, Matthew, my son, had put on my phone, which is like a wrestling app. And uh, he left it on and I I didn't, my show was um acoustic show, so I didn't use my phone. But in the break, they said, can you play some backing tracks or play some background music? And I said, yes, yeah. so I'll play some background music. And then there was this big American voice, pick your team now, which I, I don't know whether anyone noticed, but it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, and I remember then I hadn't put it on airplane mode. But I've heard stories of people getting phone calls during gigs where you, you're playing a track through your phone and singing away and people are having a great time and then your phone rings. Um, so always be careful. Make it one of your checks beforehand. Make sure your phone's on airplane mode or airplane mode. Um, I think we'll call it a day at that. Thank you very much for all of your questions. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week, next Friday, as always. Another big thanks to Kieran who mixes all of this and makes sense of it. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Thanks to everybody that's ever done this crazy job and ever had fun doing it. And uh, until I speak to you next week, take very good care, won't you? Yours in music, signing off, www.innovationstudios.com. That's it from Grassroots. You take care now. Bye-bye.